This is The Way We Connect, exploring the way we date, relate, and communicate. I'm Gwyneth Jones, or Gwen. Have you ever been really into somebody, you thought things were going really well, and then suddenly, for no apparent reason, they just stopped replying to your messages? Or maybe you've been the one who's done that to somebody else. You didn't really feel like it was going anywhere, but at the same time, you didn't really want to have that conversation with them, so it was just easier to stop messaging them back or to be really, really distant and vague. This phenomenon has probably been around forever, but now because of technology and the fact that we expect an almost instant response when we send a message, the name ghosting has emerged to describe ignoring somebody, not returning someone's calls, messages, essentially cutting off all contact with that person. People do this in romantic relationships, although normally more in a casual dating context, but it also happens with friendships and in employment. I once worked with a guy who just got sick of it one day and walked out, deleted us all from Facebook and never replied to anybody's messages again. Like I said way back before technology, it was probably a lot easier to ghost and it probably went a lot more unnoticed. After all, if you were not replying to somebody's letter, they might not notice something was different until six, seven months down the line when they hadn't received a reply. And even then, it was very likely your letter had gone missing somewhere, someone had intercepted the mail, or maybe the ship that you were sending it on had sunk. Now with instant messaging, we even know when somebody's read our message but not responded. According to some studies, around 23% of people have been ghosted by a partner and up to 40% by a friend. Why do people ghost, though? So, one 2019 study in the journal Imagination, Cognition and Personality found a range of reasons, but they were mostly broken down into five main reasons. One was convenience. Ghosting was just easier to do than setting up a time to actually have that conversation or deal with the emotions of the other person. Loss of attraction. This especially happens when you're just talking to somebody over Tinder and you haven't actually met yet and you haven't really invested much in the relationship and, you know, sometimes it just perhaps feels a bit weird to tell them that you're suddenly not interested. It's just assumed that they'll get the message. Sometimes it's the result of negative interactions that caused anger or frustration. You know, you had an unpleasant exchange and you thought it's better just to leave this here and not pursue it. Another reason was shifts in the type of relationship. So somebody wanted to go from dating to just being friends, but they didn't really want to have that conversation again. And another reason is safety. So in the study, that's quoted as fear of the person going crazy. But that can be a genuine reason too, right? That we're afraid of the repercussions if we end things with somebody face to face. But when you're on the other end of that ghosting, it often doesn't feel great. Sure, sometimes you might not even notice that you've been ghosted if you weren't really thinking about that person that much and you weren't really that interested. It might just pass you by and months might elapse before you go, huh, I haven't heard from that person for a while. But if you are more invested into that relationship or friendship, it can really hurt to be ghosted. Yeah, we might wonder what we've done wrong. We might start to worry if there's something wrong with us. And we might not get the closure that we want. So my guest today, Leia Marshall, is the founder and administrator of the Esther Perel Discussion Group on Facebook. If you don't know Esther Perel, she's an amazing psychotherapist. She has books such as Mating in Captivity. She has TED Talks and an amazing podcast called Where Should We Begin? 
Anyway, I found this discussion group on Facebook and I realized that there were a lot of people in there talking a lot about the day-to-day issues and questions that rose up in their relationships. And from there, I got talking to Leia. My full-time job is I work in marketing and I actually work with influencers who partner with brands to promote products and services. It's a super hot, really interesting area. Most people think of it from Fire Festival, but there are a lot of really amazing, powerful um, examples of it. So absolutely love what I do in that space. But I've always been fascinated by relationships. The acclaimed therapist Esther Perel says the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our lives. And yet, if you think about it, most of us never learn how to do relationships. You know, we see it modeled by our parents or, you know, our friends who are in relationships. But most of us, unless we seek out this information on our own, we're never really trained in how to do them well. And so it's really become a point of fascination for me. And a few years ago, I started uh, Esther Perel discussion group. You know, I just mentioned her, but I had seen her live at an event called Summit of Greatness in Columbus, Ohio, and was just completely floored, as everyone who hears her generally is. And so I started this discussion group, not really thinking much about it. And to this day, I think it's now 4,300 members from across the globe, super diverse community. And we talk about all of the topics that she covers from modern dating to how to keep desire going in a long-term relationship to infidelity to masculinity. So I have my, um, my full-time job, but on the side, I do a lot of work with this group in the relationship space. You know, we do uh, Facebook Lives. We do uh, now live events um, across the U.S., So it's an incredibly vibrant community, and you can find us on Facebook at Esther Perel Discussion Group. Great, yeah, and that's how I found you as well. Okay, and what kind of discussions happen in the Esther Perel Discussion Group? Ah, just the most magnificent ones. I'm really, really floored by our community. I was thinking about it the other day. You know, Esther is a pretty provocative person, you know, covering topics like really exploring fluidity in in marriages and, and different marriage setups, infidelity. People are really drawn to her, but she also covers some provocative topics. And in this community of, you know, almost 5,000 members, we have not once in almost two years had a single person troll. Uh, troll Esther as, you know, as a thought leader, which I think says a lot um, about the people who are drawn to her. We probably have between 15 to 20 posts per day. So it's an extremely engaged group. And the membership is a mix of people who, you know, are single and navigating dating to people who are just entering into a marriage to people who have been cheated on or entered into an affair during their marriage, people who are the other person, therapists, coaches, just, you know, psychology nerds. So it's incredibly diverse, not just in terms of the place that people are coming from, but also, you know, their age and where they are geographically. And that lends itself to a really just delicious discussion. So, I mean, the topics are are everything from like I said, navigating dating to 
people who are in the aftermath of an affair to people who are in a long-term marriage and feeling completely lifeless and, you know, like the, the spark is gone and, and, you know, a sense of hopelessness. So it really varies. And uh, you said you've also been doing these live sessions, right? So what does that involve exactly? Yeah, so we've had a couple different um, connection points within the group. Esther does an annual event in New York every year. And so our very first event was we did a live meetup after that. So all of the group members who attended and then also some of the attendees who were not yet part of the group met up afterwards. Esther came by and was able to interact with group members. And then since then, we've started to do Facebook Lives on Sunday night. So sometimes it's a topic that's come up as a heated point of discussion within the group. We've done, uh, we did an episode with a Kinsey Institute sex researcher on American sexual fantasies. We did one on getting desire back in a long-term relationship. We just did one with this amazing couple, Lavina and Caleb, who created this sex journal for couples based on their experience, which is this beautifully designed journal with prompts and questions. And every time you have sex, you independently journal about it and then come together and share what you wrote. Very, very powerful practice. We have one coming up in June with a woman who just wrote a book about men and sex. And I think it's called Not Always in the Mood. And it's essentially like debunking myths about um, male sexuality. So those are some of the Facebooks. We do usually like one to two per month. And they're all free and complimentary to attend. And we always post the replay if people are, you know, in Australian or half asleep. And then we are also doing a series of live events in May and June on masculinity. Masculinity is the topic of Esther's next book. At least that's what she shared. And it's interesting because she says, you know, women have had over 50 years in the U.S. to rethink their female identity. So, you know, whether that includes having a family and a career or just a career, not having kids, you know, there's a lot more acceptance of women making these choices, whereas men haven't really had that same chance to redefine the masculine identity. And she says, our collective lives won't change until men have that opportunity. And so this event that she hosted uh, back in the fall of 2018 really got me thinking about masculinity, you know, because men are in a position of power. We often don't think about the challenges that they might face. You know, we focus on women or minorities. But in delving deeper into the topic, I've really been touched by a lot of the ways in which men really have to put on masks in order to be accepted by other men and by society and by women. And so we just had our first event in Chicago on Sunday. We'll do our next one in New York. Um, and we've gotten the heads of some really powerful men's groups to sign up and attend and be a part of this conversation. So the format for the dinners is I'm sharing um, an incredibly powerful movie called The Mask You Live In. It was done by the folks behind the Misrepresentation Project. And it's a 90-minute film, and it's all about the protective masks that men are told to wear, whether it's from their parents or schools or their peers, and the ways that they feel they really need to conform to fit this image of masculinity in order to be accepted and, you know, in the worst case, not, you know, beat up or harmed. So the, the format is people are watching the film in advance of the conversation, and then 
we'll have a dialogue about it over dinner. So yeah, we are, we're doing Chicago, New York, LA, and Dallas over May and June. And then we'll see after that kind of what what's next. It sounds amazing and really, yeah, really important. So today you wanted to share a particular story with us, right? Yeah. You know, you and I were chatting before. I was learning a little bit more about your audience and what would be most useful for me to share. You know, I'm now almost 38. So let's say I've been dating for about 20 years. So this is like, these are like my greatest nuggets from 20 years of dating. And the topic of ghosting comes up again and again. And it's one that I've actually had several experiences with. And what's interesting and kind of how I want to frame this conversation is so many times people think about ghosting in a really negative way, because it has a lot of really negative um, consequences. I think not just for the person who's ghosted, but I think it has negative consequences for the person who does the ghosting as well. But what's interesting is I would say one of the most positively transformational points in my life was an experience I had being ghosted about a year and a half ago. So I wanted to share about that and how I kind of navigated the experience and the lessons I got out of it and kind of the advice that I would give to anyone going through it. And then I also wanted to share a really healing experience I had very recently that kind of brought the whole ghosting experience to a close, again, in a really healing way. So the ghosting experience I had was a guy we met on a dating app. And, you know, we're texting and had some really great phone conversations uh, leading up to our first date, and just had the most amazing dates together. You know, he's a super smart, really witty, really funny playful guy, you know, we just we we hit it off and we really connected. And I don't know, you know, how else to describe it outside of that. You know, we went to the driving range, we went to um, the beautiful the dunes and the lakeshore and did like a day trip together, boat rides, bike rides, brunches, you know, movies in the park, ping pong, parties with friends, like we did it all. So we, we dated for about two months and, and just had that, um, had that beautiful connection that comes along, I think, very rarely. And around about two months in, he was going to be going away for a summer trip to a national park with a friend. You know, we had a nice phone conversation before he left, and I wasn't sure when he was getting back. So about a week after we had that phone conversation... I text him a funny memory from one of our early dates. We had actually had a salmon like cook off or like battle in the kitchen where he did his salmon versus mine. And he actually ended up making smoked salmon. And I was out for lunch having a smoked salmon salad. And so I sent him a picture of it. And I said, yours is better. And I just never heard back from him. You know, a lot of friends were like, weren't you worried? Because he went to like, he went hiking in a national park, you know, maybe something happened. And I said, like, no, like, energetically, it was just very clear to me, you know, this, this was his way of saying, this is no longer a fit for me. What was interesting is, despite our connection, and how powerfully, the, you know, the powerful feelings I had, it was such a turnoff in that moment, you know, people said, like, weren't you tempted to like, call or, or follow up and text? And like, not really, I would never be with someone who who isn't all in about me, who isn't excited, and that in itself is a turnoff. Not, again, excusing the behavior, but that's where I was in that moment. 
And then about five weeks later, he reached back out and he said, you know, I know you're probably not wanting to hear from me, but I just wanted to say how sorry I am. It was never whatever he made, you know, he he shared some things that weren't particularly helpful, right? (laughs) And then he, I remember you were going to this event. How was it? And so in that moment, I said, and this was just like coming from the heart, I said, you know, I accept your apology, not interested in staying in touch. But in him reaching out, it really just brought back all of these feelings that frankly, I don't think I had processed, you know, because I was so turned off in that moment where I didn't hear back from him, I kind of probably stuffed down the feelings and then hearing from him, it just brought them all back to the surface. So I found myself really longing to stay connected with him. And there was a big shooting in Vegas, where his parents lived a few days later. So I found myself like using that as an opportunity to like send him a text and check in and just found like, again, more opportunities to to stay in touch. And we did end up meeting up uh, one time after that. And then I had sent him, it was like around New Year's Eve and I sent him a message on New Year's Eve. And oddly enough, I live in Chicago. Chicago's a very big place. We had, we had been at the same place on New Year's Eve just like, you know, at at a club in the city. And I hadn't seen him, but he had seen me. So on January 1st, he said, hey, weird question, you know, were you at so-and-so place on New Year's Eve? And to me, it was so odd. You know, we weren't connected on Facebook, so we couldn't see it that way. So we would have had to be there. And it just seems so odd that he wouldn't have had, you know, come up and even just like said, hey. And then it struck me, oh, you know, he's clearly like involved with someone and didn't want to have that conversation with them around. So that was kind of that closure point. But I share this whole story because the pain that I felt, let's say, when the ghosting happened, probably took a good year to fully, like to fully, fully heal. It just really illuminated to me ways in which on a very unconscious level, I was maybe co-creating a relationship dynamic that led to the ghosting. So for example, maybe like around our sixth or seventh date, we were starting to get to that point where we would have sex. And it was important to me to share that I didn't want to be having sex outside of an exclusive relationship. So I shared that with him. And it was interesting, like, everything we had been doing up until that point would have led me to think that he absolutely wanted an exclusive relationship. But his his response in that moment was, you know, um, actually, he revealed to me that he had he was just out of a two year relationship, which he had never told me. So we started dating about like a week after he had ended this very long term relationship. And he wasn't looking for anything serious, which was news to me. And I communicated this you know, this standard I have or or these values I have. And he said he wasn't able to meet them. And in my head, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just continue to date other people and kind of move him down a peg on my priorities list. But really what I was doing is I was settling for someone who wasn't able to meet what I needed. And so in the months that followed the ghosting, I just did a ton of reflecting all of those little micro moments within a relationship where we sacrifice what we need in order to keep something that's not working, working. Um, And so that was super powerful. And the pain that I was in, which was really, really intense, led me to 
just do a ton of learning. I learned about this concept called attachment theory, which is so powerful and not very frequently talked about. You know, there's so many dating help videos out there, you know, quote unquote, dating experts, you know, five things to do when he pulls away to make him miss you. And in my opinion, they're all really rooted in game playing and power dynamics and having the upper hand and kind of like manipulating someone who just isn't there into doing what you want them to do. And I watched a lot of these videos, frankly, and I purchased a lot of programs that these, that, you know, these quote unquote dating experts were selling. And I always found that like, I, I left feeling worse because their whole, um, their whole premise is you're in lack or scarcity or have low self-worth when you're not with this specific person. And my philosophy of myself and, and dating and relationships has changed so dramatically since then, and I'll talk about it. But, but everything changed for me when I started to learn about attachment theory. And attachment theory is the science of how we connect in romantic relationships. So if you've ever thought about it, like there's some people when they feel connection, they want to sustain the connection. And there are other people, and I'm sure, you know, you've probably dated some, where they feel connection and their instinct is to pull away. And it's likely because they've had, they had parents or caregivers as a child whose love uh, and attention was very inconsistent. And so they associate love with actually something really negative and painful. And so as an unconscious protective mechanism, when they feel that connection, they pull away. So I started, I started really diving into psychology as a result of this experience. And so the combination of like realizing my own co-creation of this dynamic, um, again, not to excuse the behavior ever. You know, when someone ghosts, I think generally a lot of times, you know, there's there's a real avoidance of of conflict conversations or a lack of an understanding of how to have one. It's pretty easy to say to someone, listen this isn't working for me, enjoyed our time together, but not going to be interested in moving forward. Like that's a very easy conversation to have in theory, unless you have a whole story behind those words about, you know, how the person's going to react or, you know, whatever it might be. So again, not to excuse the behavior, but I always love to focus on like, how can I mind the gold in this breakup? You know, what are the lessons I can learn about myself? about other people. So I wanted to share that because that reflective experience over about a year was just so incredibly powerful for me. And it made me it made me such a more self aware, grounded person. And so the advice I would give to anyone who's going through ghosting is don't focus on trying to manipulate the other person into doing what you want them to do. Focus on yourself, focus on the ways in which you might have sent subtle messages that communicated to that person that they could, you know, potentially treat you poorly. And also, you know, take the time to dive in to learn about people and relationships. You know, what were the questions that this person brought up for you that you could, you know, that you could learn about? Going into this idea of attachment theory as well, can you tell us what was it that you found out about your own attachment style from this? It's interesting because my dad is a psychologist. And there are a lot of different theories about why we're attracted to specific people. You know, why is it that I'm attracted to person X, but not person Y? And there are two psychologists, Harvel Hendricks and his wife, Helen Hendricks, have this concept called Imago, which is that we are attracted to people 
who share the characteristics of uh, one of our parents. And it's usually the parent that we wanted to get love from, but didn't get love from. And we're drawn to this person because they, they possess these characteristics, but they have some additional uh, resources, they call them. So they have some additional traits or capabilities that would allow us to connect with them and essentially heal the love that we never, or heal the missing love that we never got from that parent. So Harville Hendricks and Helen Hendricks, and it's called Imago. And what's interesting is, so my dad's a psychologist. I didn't realize this until after things ended with me and Ben, but Ben, Ben like looked like my dad. <laughs> he had a sense of humor like my dad, crazy smart like my dad. He was even, he even had like my dad's like stature, like they were around the same height and the same build. And it just became glaringly obvious to me once things ended. I'm like, gosh, like Ben was really like my dad. But the difference is my dad is incredibly emotionally aware, again, because of his work uh, as a psychologist. And he's also very, very comfortable communicating what's going on. He always has been. And so it was funny because, you know, if you think about it, I didn't start dating, let's say, till I went away to college for the most part. So up until then, I just assumed men were like my dad. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, like the men I dated up until Ben were all pretty emotionally available. And so Ben was my first experience with a really emotionally unavailable person. And it sounds so silly, but that, you know, that just is the truth. And so what's interesting is the emotion that I felt with Ben was very, very drug-like, like almost like this really out of control feeling. And what was interesting is I would say he inspired an anxious attachment in me. So there are three types of attachment avoidant, secure, and anxious. And what's so fascinating about them is they're malleable, meaning I might have a secure attachment with, you know, with Joe, but an anxious attachment with Scott, you know, it just, it varies based on the person. And avoidance always attract anxious attachment styles. That's just <laughs> the law of the universe. You couldn't have two avoidance because there would be no glue. You wouldn't have a relationship, right? So what was interesting to me is I felt I felt almost like this drug-like uh, sensation around him. I think that that can have an addictive quality. And now what I realize is that's actually a really negative thing. Like, I don't want that in my next relationships. I dated um, a couple different men, you know, since then that I've had really, really secure attachments with. And to be able to contrast the two and to be able to make choices, oh, when I'm with this person, I feel really secure either because of his style or some other dynamic. The guy I most recently dated had, had more of an anxious style. He just was very kind of proactive. That allowed me to kind of settle into like a really deep, secure attachment with him, which felt really good. So I would just encourage people to be aware of, of what they're feeling, you know, Read Attached by Amir Levine. That's probably my favorite of all of the attachment books, but there are lots of one different ones out there. There's Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson, and there's Wired for Love by Stan Tatkin. And if you don't want to get, you know, if you don't want to read the books, you can always just watch interviews with these authors. There are hundreds of them out there. And yeah, it's it's a really, really powerful relationship dynamic to be aware of. You know, learn learn kind of what you're 
what you think your default is. I think for me, I'm secure for the most part, but as I mentioned, certain people can really trigger, if they're avoidant, they trigger that anxious side. Certain behaviors or certain traits in people can trigger this anxious attachment style, even if you're normally yeah, quite secure. Yes, and you can also, so if you're dating someone who's secure, and let's say you tend to be avoidant or anxious, what you'll find is their style will will rub off on you and you can actually become more like them. So like I said, different people will trigger different styles, but they're also malleable. You can evolve your style. You're not like destined to always, you know, have this one attachment style. So I think that's a really like optimistic, positive message to end on as well. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thinking about some of my friends who seem to have, you know, a lot of bad luck with dating and ghosting and being ghosted on, particularly. And I'm thinking now that they would want to ask like, okay, but how do I know who, you know, how do I spot the people who have secure attachment styles so that I don't keep ending up in the same situation over and over again? I mean, I always think don't listen to people's words, watch their actions. I think that we can listen to words and, you know, be hopeful. And, you know, especially if, if we're someone who's really wanting to start a family and feeling a sense of you know, wanting to get there sooner rather than later, it can be really tempting to follow someone's words, you know, but I would say always, always be super attuned to the actions and the way the actions are either aligning with the words or not. I think to me, that's probably the best advice and not, not investing too soon. There's a phrase that I really like, it's invest then test. So give a little bit and then see how the other person responds. I think oftentimes women, and I've certainly been guilty of this, you know, when you're really excited about someone and you don't get excited very often and then this person comes along and they're just rocking your world, it can be really easy to just want to like throw yourself in. And then that's kind of a recipe for, um, <laughs> there's a term I like, expectation hangover, where you've created this expectation of the person, not really grounded in who they are, but just based on, you know, your own hopes and dreams. And it kind of has outpaced your ability to really see if that's who they are based on where the relationship is at that point. So, you know, watch actions, not words, and just invest a little bit, even if you're excited about the person, give them an opportunity to prove to you who they really are. And you said a little earlier about, you know, you looked back on what unconscious signals had you given off to them, not to make them ghosts on you, you know, because I don't think we're saying we should always blame ourselves, but you're saying maybe you gave them permission to treat you that way, right? Can you say more about that? It was interesting. I was going through a stage when I met Ben. Oh, I'd forgotten to I'd forgotten to bring this up. So the person I dated before Ben also had ghosted. And I love this phrase. You know, when the universe sends you a lesson and you don't take the time to get the message, it's going to send you that same lesson, but, you know, with a cosmic two by four or, you know, a cosmic dump truck. So I had had this dating experience right before Ben with this guy. Same thing, like great conversation, great connection, having the most fun. And then for whatever reason, disappeared, right? I really didn't do any of the, the self-reflection and the learning that I did after Ben with this guy. You know, I, I was really hurt 
know, took, took the time to heal, but there was no, there was no reflection. Take the time after you have a ghosting experience to like really reflect on the moments and see the ways in which you were maybe ignoring red flags, not because you didn't see them, but because you didn't want them to be there. Or at that time I had been like really watching a lot of dating videos. And I think what ended up happening is because they're really rooted in game playing and kind of having the upper hand, you know, when Ben told me he wasn't looking for anything serious, I used a line that one of the quote unquote dating experts had told me to use when that happens, which is kind of, you you know, you play it off and you say, okay, like, great, we'll continue to date other people. But that like was, that was not where I was at. Like I was, I really wasn't interested in dating other people. Like I was really interested in Ben. So instead of being authentic and saying, oh, like, wow, like that's, that's such a bummer. You know, I was really enjoying our time together um, and hoping to move forward. But, you know, I'm going to respect where you're at and, you know, say goodbye. I used a line that wasn't authentic to where I was at or how I was feeling or, you know, my, my, my heart. And so what it did is it allowed the relationship to continue, but not in an authentic way. And I think if I hadn't done that reflection, again, it's just, it's so easy to wear like the cozy cloak of victimhood and just say I was ghosted. But I think that there are so many moments within a relationship where if we really examine them, we see the role in which we, you know, created, um, created the dynamic to happen. So that would be the advice I give, you know, it's reflect on your own role. And for any moments that you found like confusing or, or tough, learn about them. You know, there's, there's so many, whether it's a community like the one that we're in or podcasts or YouTube videos or books, like there's so many resources out there. But I think also we should, you know, make sure that this doesn't turn into sitting around blaming ourselves, right? Like, oh no, I pushed him away because I said this, because I'm worried that for some people that's the thought loop they're going to get stuck in. Yeah, there should never be blame. You know, I really think that the purpose of our relationships is just to get closer to ourself. Like my relationship with myself is always going to be my most important relationship. And the people that I meet along the way are just teachers. None of what I did was through a lens of like, oh, if I had just done this, it would have turned out differently. It was it was it was supposed to turn out exactly the way that it did. And so the looking for the co-creation there's, it's never about pointing the finger. It's about how can I how can I use this pain to see the lesson that can strip away all of the junk that I've layered on top of my authentic self, you know, so that I'm not hurt or so that, so that I can get like love and attention or approval or whatever it might be. How can I use this painful moment to see, oh, that was an area where I was being inauthentic and trading my inauthenticity in order to get you know, that love and attention and validation. So it's never about blame, blaming the other person or ourselves. There's no, there's really no value in that. It's about looking for those, like those learning nuggets. That's where the real, real value comes from. Does that make sense? The kind of the difference between the two? Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, <laughs> I would say yes. It's, it's very hard, though, sometimes, isn't it, to help people get out of this I don't know, like indoctrinated view almost that they're a failure if they're not able to 
get a relationship or to hold on to somebody and you know I find it sometimes very hard to try to get people to really build that relationship with themselves and to be kind to themselves as well. And I truly believe it's such a good point Gwen and I truly believe that we get the lessons from life that we need in order to evolve. And so if, you know, in the in the case of one of your friends, they keep getting these lessons in the forms of men or women who come into their lives and then leave, it's it's the universe helping them to evolve to that place of self-love. And usually the growth comes from these painful moments, and the growth also only comes if we do the work. And so I would just say to them, you know, find find a supportive community, whether it's a therapist or an online community like ours, or I've always been such a fan of, you know, the YouTube videos, the podcasts, the audiobooks. You know, you put them on and they kind of surround you with this this sense of of evolution. I don't know how else to describe it. So find what works for you. It's a, it's a slow journey. You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight, the journey to get closer to yourself. I'm constantly doing courses. And one of the courses I'm doing now is by one of the people that I most admire uh, right now, Dr. Shafali Sabari. She's been touted by Oprah. Oprah said, in the 30 years I've been doing interviews, she's one of the best I've ever seen. I got to see her live at an event last year, and she has a course now called Free to Be, which is all about connecting to yourself through your romantic relationships. And it's super powerful stuff. So I'm, I never stop learning, but it's all through the intention of getting closer to myself. And that's where I really think, that's what I think the purpose of relationships is. So I just want to go a little bit into this topic of ghosting for a moment and just ask you, like, why do you think that people ghost in general? And I mean, it's so interesting. I'm I'm always so hesitant about generalizations because it, it really varies greatly by person. I know for a fact in the case of Ben, this is so interesting. So in a lot of ways, he and I had pretty similar upbringings. We're both Jewish. We both grew up in the same area of Chicago, you know, in the suburbs, like just a lot of similarities. We're, you know, about a year apart in age. But on our first date, he told me a lot about his dad. And he said, you know, when he was growing up, not once has his dad ever let him win at anything. And I just got this sense like his dad was really, really tough on him. And so that there's this fear of fear of conflict, fear of, you know, letting someone down. And what's so interesting, again, and what like really threw me for a loop is, because my dad was my paradigm of what men are like, and my dad was is very self aware, very just in touch with his emotions and also very comfortable articulating them. That was just how I assumed men were. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but it's 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 really true. That was my paradigm. Like I said, I didn't realize it until after the fact, but Ben reminded me so much of my dad. I also assume that like if someone is intellectual like Ben was, they'd also be emotionally aware, you know, there's like intellectual IQ and there's EQ, uh, emotional intelligence. And what I realized is, I think on the one hand, Ben wasn't trying to be an asshole. I know that for a fact. I think that he has a really tough relationship with conflict and conflict conversations. And he'd even mentioned, you know, just in our casual conversations, like he had never been 
out of a relationship since college. He's only been in relationship with people. And he'd also mentioned he often stays in relationships and they go on a lot longer than they should. And that's a sign of someone who's, you know, maybe it's a little bit lack of self-awareness, but also that inability to have that tough conversation. I just think of, I think so vividly of that story he told me on our first date about, you know, about his dad. And those early experiences really shape uh, the lens through which we see the world and our belief systems. And so I think for some people, they have a really negative relationship with conflict. And for them, it's just it's just too tough to go there. And so they take, you know, the quote unquote easy way out and just assume, well, the person will get the message if I just disappear. So I think that really can be the case. I think, you know, in a small number of examples, you know, the person quote unquote got what they wanted and they don't feel like a sense of responsibility or obligation to say anything. I also think like with the supply and demand of the dating app culture, there's this sense of, oh, I don't need to do like the tough and the right thing because there are just so many people out there. So there's almost like that, um, maybe that like lack of accountability that you would have felt if it's someone who, you know, you see on a daily basis and there's going to be, you know, there's going to, there just aren't consequences, right? Unless the person, you know, picks up the phone and, and rails at you. And I also think it's, uh, it does get back to attachment theory. Like if someone, if someone has an avoidant attachment style, when they feel connection, they're going to pull away and they're going to associate connection and love with actually something negative and hurtful um, and not positive. So that's an element. And I also think like, frankly, with our cell phone culture, like people are getting less good at having a conversation face to face in person with words um, and eye contact. I think, you know, we're, we're just getting so much more comfortable with the texting and the emails. And, and I think it's become a skill that a lot of people have lost and are just a lot less confident in. What do you think? Yeah, a lot of those things that you've said. And I was thinking too, uh, while you were talking, you know, is ghosting a new phenomenon in terms of we expect such a more instantaneous reply now, right? It's not like the old days where you'd have a letter and you'd be oh. waiting for months for a response anyway. Yeah. But I also said, I said in the beginning that I, I don't think the only, you know, quote unquote, victim in ghosting is the person who's ghosted. I really think that it has an impact on the person who ghosts. You know, it's all of these, like think of it almost like <laughs> as an internet browser and you still have all of, you have all of these tabs open, like there's no closure. I really think that that has an effect on an unconscious level, you know, where you're just having a connection, it's not resolved. And you kind of, you kind of end it because you're not talking to the person, but it's still out there. I really do think that that accumulates, you know, if that becomes your pattern. And then also think about it, it's going to spill over into other areas of your life where it's really not acceptable. Like think about like professionally, you know, if your default is when I have conflict, I, I run away and I avoid it as opposed to addressing it and handling it, that becomes your identity. And then when it happens, let's say, with a family member where you can't really ghost, or in a in a work situation where you can't ghost, because that has an impact on your livelihood, I really think it becomes, it, I think it spills over. And I think it becomes part of your identity. I'm the type of person who when there's conflict, I run away. And then on a subconscious level, it happens, and you don't even see yourself avoiding it. But you, but that's 
you know, that's the place you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really hard sometimes to see that behavior in ourselves, right? Because we just, yeah, it's so normal for us. But um, I want to ask you then, have you ever ghosted on somebody or have you wanted to? You know, I've never wanted to and I never have. Even even in a situation where I haven't even met the person yet, let's say we connect on a dating app or whatever it might be and we're texting or let's say we have a phone call and it's just very clear to me this is not a match and the person follows up and says like, hey, love chatting, you know, would love to get that drink. I've never, never once ignored it. But again, I think it comes back to, I think it comes back to what I was exposed to when I was young, which is a real level of comfort around having a conversation where we just, we know what our needs are and we express them. And I, you know, I definitely credit my dad for that, but it's never felt uncomfortable for me to just share where I'm at. I don't have any sense of like dread or desire to avoid that. And I just don't associate like ignoring that with positive. I associate again, I associate that as like kind of like an open loop, or an unclosed loop that like could potentially come back like I want to address it and deal with it and be done. But it's also about respect for the other person, you know, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I wonder what reasons people have as well for ghosting. And another thing that came to mind is, you know, are we like really afraid of what's going to happen? And I do know some people who've been a little bit scarred because they've tried to break up with people and they've had really, you know, intense reactions back. Like the person has been really angry or has said horrible things to them or, you know, made them feel terrible for wanting to break up with people. And yeah, yeah, I mean, these kind of reactions are obviously don't speak a very high emotional intelligence, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they happen. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had that, like not even close. So I can't really speak to that. But I could imagine how, you know, after a series of those, you'd, you'd be less, you'd be less interested in in um in starting that conversation yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so so where are you at now then so you know you talked about these experiences you've had and yeah you said that you've done a lot of healing and growing as a person so yeah what's the situation at the moment well what's so interesting is I had um I had a experience come up about two weeks ago that made me think of this ghosting again, which was it was a a guy that I had been dating for several months at the end of last year. And we we had just the most amazing personality connection, not physical chemistry, though, unfortunately. And so we have stayed friends, which I'm so grateful for. And truly, to this day, he's probably the person you know, that I most enjoy chatting with and truly one of my closest friends. He has decided that he wants to start dating again. And because of our emotional connection and emotional intimacy, I think he really needed to pull back in order to like create that space to be dating. And so we had a conversation about it, of course, like, you know, fully supportive and and excited for him because I truly do care about him. And, you know, he wants that for himself. So, so, you know, I want that for him as a result. And what was interesting is the way that that space was created, it wasn't kind of gradual after we had the conversation, it was very abrupt. So we went from, you know, we, we chat all day long and we usually like talk on the phone once a day to 
you know, there were a couple of days when we didn't really have contact at all. And what was so interesting is it really triggered a ghosting response. Like I felt those same feelings that I felt when Ben ghosted and the guy before him ghosted. And I, I was really, really emotional that week, which is very unusual for me. Like I'm not, I'm really not uh, a crier, you know, much. And I was just like really teary all week long. And it just felt like the wound. <laughs> it felt like the wound that was created when I was ghosted was just like ripped open and like salt was poured in it. And this guy and I had had plans to have dinner on Saturday night. And, you know, Friday came along and it was clear to me, like, I wasn't going to be able to have dinner. Like, I just was very, I wasn't in a place, you know, to <laughs> to be with him and burst out crying and, you know, make him upset and I would be upset. And so I was going to call it off. And I had a conversation with a very astute emotionally aware friend of mine that Friday. And she said, Leah, let me ask you a question. When you're in pain, do you tend to feel it around other people or on your own by yourself? And I'm like, oh my gosh, for sure on my own, like definitely not around other people. And she said, you know, this could be a really great opportunity for you to explore changing that up and, and breaking that pattern. She said, I could see some really uh, healing value and you feeling that pain, like in his presence. And at the, in the moment, I'm like, she is nuts. Like, I am not in a place to, to do this. But I kind of slept on it. And the next morning I woke up, I'm like, you know what, she's right. Like, I really try to live a life outside of my comfort zone. This is an opportunity for me to walk that talk and do the uncomfortable. And so we did end up having dinner. And I actually shared with him all of what I just shared with you. Like I shared I shared what it what that conversation and his space brought up for me, you know, the past experiences which he knew about. And for me to share that and for him to receive it, and you know, he didn't get emotional, but he just was there and he kind of like held the space for me to share. What was so interesting is, you know, and we had the and after that we had just like we continued laughing and doing what we always do and just had the best time that night. And, you know, in the days following, in the weeks following. He still continued to have that emotional space, but it was as if the wound was like healed through that, you know, through that interaction. And it was just so interesting to me that that an experience like that could have such a powerful emotional impact, just someone, someone safe, like hearing your story and receiving it fully and not judging it and just like staying there and not running away just was so interesting to me, you know, how healing that experience could be. So, you know, for the people who are out there and dating, just like we can have these really painful experiences, there are also people who can come into our lives who can be very healing as well. Nice. Yeah. So it's almost you had a sort of closure from being able to tell him how you felt. I think for me, what it felt like is I had had this script running or this story that I get close to men and we have an incredible connection and then they run away. I think what this did is it broke that script. It showed me that I can have an incredible connection with a man and he doesn't run away. So for me, it was more like a pattern break or like a, a story break, if that makes sense. So it challenges the kind of 
thought loop that normally goes on, right? About, oh, this is what always happens. And you're able to see like, well, it's not how it always goes. Exactly. So thank you so much for sharing all of that as well. And yeah, I mean, do you have any other final, I guess, pieces of advice or recommended reading podcasts, anything like that? Oh, so many. Um, I would encourage people to to join our group, Esther Perel Discussion Group on Facebook. And one of the first things you'll get is a link to a Google Doc that our group has collectively created. We have links to almost all of Esther's interviews, podcasts, YouTube videos. We have a tab for um, book recommendations with a description of like the topics that they cover. We have a tab for podcast recommendations. We have a tab for some of our favorite quotes from Esther Perel, and it's all free and it's available when you join the group. So that's a really great go-to list. And I would say, yeah, we can, people can start there. And then, you know, if they have questions that come up, they can always post in the group. I mean, a lot of our posts get anywhere from a hundred comments to we have one recently that has well over 300 comments. It's an incredibly engaged, caring insightful group. It's always nice, even if you don't think you have any relationship challenges now, it's kind of interesting to see what other people go through. Or, you know, should should something come up, you'll have a community at your fingertips that's wise and caring who can step up and support. Yeah, it sounds great. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thanks, Gwen. There's one more thing that I found out about ghosting while I did a bit more research, which I thought was really interesting. You may remember in a previous episode, I talked about the difference between growth and fixed mindsets. So growth mindsets are the type of people who think, you know, I can change, I can be better, maybe I'm not good at this now, but I can develop and grow. Whereas fixed mindset people are much more like, no, this is me, I'm the way I am, and I'm not really going to change. And I wondered how those people fared in relationships. Well, it turns out that in a study way back in 2002, they found that people who have a stronger fixed mindset, or more specifically in this case, a destiny mindset, so the belief that there was a soulmate they were destined to be with, were much more likely to be okay with ghosting and to see it as an acceptable way to end a relationship than people who had a growth mindset. So think about that for a moment. If you believe that there's one person out there for you that you're destined to be with, you're much more likely to think it's okay to just stop talking to somebody or ditch them if some red flags show up. You know, it might be a really serious red flag, like you suspect they could be abusive. Obviously, that's, you know, a real reason for concern. But it could also just be that they make a small comment that makes you think, oh, they're not my perfect partner, let's, you know, move on. (laughs) Whereas people with a growth mindset might think, well, I like this person, we can work on this, these are issues we can move through. And if you listen to my episode on compatibility, where I spoke to Louise and Barbara, this couple who'd been together for 10 years, we really addressed that issue of, you know, how when they first met, they didn't think that they were soulmates, they didn't think this is the person I've been waiting for, but through getting to know each other really well, working on these things, they were able to build a beautiful and lasting relationship. So what does that mean? Should you avoid people who believe in destiny and soulmates? Well, if you don't want to be ghosted, 
it might be better to find out before you get too serious if this person has a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So maybe just ask them, you know, what are you good at? What do you want to be better at? And if they tell you that they are who they are and that they can't improve on certain skills, maybe that's little sign. Back to the title of what we looked at today, turning ghosting into gold. We're not focusing so much on why people ghost. We're looking at how you can take rejection, whether that's from being ghosted, being broken up with, or anything else, and use it to move forward. As I said when I talked to Leah, I don't think we need to advocate for self-blame, but it's definitely good to look back and think, what part did I play in that? And as she said, Did I make it okay for them to step over my boundaries? Did I maybe pretend I was okay with something I wasn't? To fit in, to be cool, to be loved and accepted? And did that actually give them permission to walk all over me? So have you ever been ghosted? Or have you been the one doing the ghosting? Tweet me at The Way We Connect. Or you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or go to thewaywheconnect.org for the blog, where I'll post links to all the resources we've talked about today. Thank you for tuning in to The Way We Connect and join me next time.